Welcome to CBO Speaks, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is for you to gain greater insight into the challenges and rewards of the Chief Business Officer role. Find out more from today's episode at www.nakubo.org. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Megan Strand, your host for today, and I am very excited to be joined by Mike Mandel, Executive Vice President for Business and Administration at Emory University. Hi, Mike. How are you, Megan? I'm excellent. Thanks so much for being here. You have a background in both the accounting and pharmaceutical industries. I wonder if you could start us off today by sharing the story of how you were introduced to higher education. It's an interesting uh, interesting journey. Um, I uh, had gotten a CPA out of undergrad and uh, worked for KPMG and then migrated into the pharmaceutical company uh, in Research Triangle Park with Glaxo. And uh, had uh, a decision that I wanted to uh, had an event in my life. Uh, I was 25 years old. 26 year old sister died, and suddenly, and so I th- I was working and thinking, you know, I wanted to explore uh, other fields and didn't know exactly how I wanted to go about that. So while I was pursuing my professional career, career I enrolled in a master's of liberal arts at Duke at Duke, uh, in the evening. And so I sort of said, I wanted to, and my joke to myself was, um, doing this backwards, uh, getting a liberal arts education yeah. after having a professional education. Uh, but did that at night and was spending a lot of time on Duke's campus and got new, I did, had known what higher ed had done for me and really came to see as I uh, explored the liberal arts. And uh, again, I was working full time, but came to see the power of uh, research universities, particularly those with academic medical centers and uh, uh, high quality uh, education and what it can do for individuals, um, communities, and really the world and thought, you know, this has a lot of meaning to it and uh, spend a lot of time uh, in your professional life and, you know, really wanted to engage in a way where my life's work uh, was oriented around an institution that felt like it was a cause bigger than myself that I could commit to. That was in 1988-ish. Wow. 1989, actually. 1989. So in 1989, <clears throat> I was enrolled, and I uh, continued to work and uh, actually took a job. I saw on the campus a uh, posting for a job I knew nothing about. Here I was in corporate corporate finance, and the job was assistant dean for finance uh, business or whatever um, at, the, at what was then Duke's School of Forestry uh, uh, 
and environmental studies or something to that effect. <clears throat> and uh, they were struggling and there was um, uh, thought that they might close the school and they wanted somebody uh, to help the dean turn it around uh, in its sort of business practices. And so I somehow got offered that job and um, <clears throat> had a two-year run while I was finishing my master's of liberal arts and repositioned the school. And it got a, you know, at the time, probably the most significant gift in Duke's history and uh, became the Nicholas School of the Environment uh, and, in a, you know, transformed itself and is now thriving, you know, undergrad and graduate program at Duke. So uh, did that for two years, turned it around, met that commitment. And then I uh, thought I would go the faculty route, actually, and uh, enrolled full-time, quit my job, enrolled. It uh, was offered a fellowship at Duke for the business school and the PhD program, and um, did that for a couple of years, and, and then, you know, really got to feel that's, that, that I could do that and do the research and do the teaching, but really my gifts could... Uh, were, were probably fit more for uh, the, you know, leadership uh, in, in the administrative functions. And so but took a job back at Duke in, in the provost office leading up, you know, budgets and systems and sort of university-wide initiatives. And then it, it took off from there. Wow, that's quite the uh, the career trajectory. It sounds like you've had a little bit of introduction to all sorts of different industries and even within academia, just diff- coming at it from different angles. What do you think that's given you as a CBO? You know, the, the, um, the route has been one that while not, you know, traditional in a sense, what it's given me is a great appreciation um, for the mission of these enterprises because I've worked in the provost office. I've worked as a CBO of a of a of a school, you know, vice president of finance centrally, um, and 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 then this you know this role. So I've I've seen the enterprise. You know, I I, I began the journey as this is an important uh, mission. These are important institutions that we have in the United States. That was sort of my, okay, then I, and I had a sense of that from an individual. Then I began to experience and see from various points within a university uh, what it's all about and uh, how the business function is, is not an end in and of itself, but that the business functions are tools to provide uh, infrastructure and platform for, you know, great education and great research and great intellectual pursuits, whether they're by students or faculty, to take place. And I think the the that's a you know I have come to see that as as something that has has been a great strength, you know, to to orient myself that way, and it has enabled me. It's come natural, but it's enabled me to uh, then partner. Uh, in ways with the academic leadership uh, that I think most CBOs, uh, you know, many CBOs miss uh, that opportunity. And so for me, in all the roles I've had, it's always been uh, working in partnership with academic leadership 
to accomplish, you know, the mission as opposed to seeing sort of a wall or division around the business function and the academic function. Let's talk a little bit about that. So you have a solid background in finance and accounting. Then you hit the CBO role. You're starting to talk about partnership. What other skill sets do you feel like you you need to have as a CBO to form those partnerships? Yeah, so the accounting you know, I feel like that is a different life. I mean, the account, I mean, it's it's a world ago, a lifetime. Sure, sure. You know, that was a basis uh, for a specific content, you know, expertise and um, set of skills or tools. That's a, uh, you know, sort of necessary part of the equation, but it's not a sufficient part. Right. You know, and so what else do you, you need is, and, w- and really what um, I would say my whole mind is oriented to is uh, where do we want to get to and how do we lead people, processes, and resources to do that? So that's much more about people than it is about money. Uh, so what are the, the, it's the interpersonal skills, it's the, uh, perceptual skills. It's the ability to read uh, what uh, people who are in the critical path are interested in, need to hear, need to uh, you need to serve in order to um, get things done. I mean, it's a it's a it sounds kind of trite, but if you ask me, what do you do? You know, I try to get big, important things done uh, in support of the mission of the enterprise. That requires um, this whole set, I think, of uh, people skills. Sure, sure. And how do, you, skills. how do you feel like you've developed those leadership skills? I, it, clearly, you've probably, you're probably inherently strong in a lot of these sort of people-focused skill sets just naturally but probably you've developed some of those over the years as well. So um, when in thinking of how you've developed those leadership skills, who have you emulated or who have you turned to for inspiration or ways, different ways to approach a problem? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Adam. Well, um, I've been fortunate in that, you know, uh, this whole, when I had this, you know, sort of epiphany at 25 about, how I would, uh, what would be important in my career pursuits and life pursuits. It was being around high quality people, uh, that I trust and respect a, and working for a purpose larger than myself. So you put those, I had the, had the second thing in higher ed. And, and the first thing was I've been fortunate in that the roles I have had, um, the person that I have worked for, in each of the roles, literally in higher ed, in each of the, this was not necessarily the case in the corporate world, but in the, in the higher ed, each of the roles, the people were of high quality uh, and, you know, not only really smart, but very effective. And they were all different in how they went about it. So they had strengths and weaknesses like all of us. And I think the key, you know, if I had to look back and give, uh, mentor people and, and uh, give suggestions if, if they want, is uh, <laughs> paying attention to that, Be, actually being conscious along the way 
Um, and it was, del- I, I sort of look back and it really, I can, I can recall sort of consciously uh, seeing things in each of them that I greatly admired and wanted to incorporate into my repertoire and the way I, you know, led and worked. And then there were elements where I would observe and say, and, and pay attention to the effect of that on the people around them and how I experience it. <clears throat> and then say, well, okay, I get that. I see what that is. I'm going to try not to do that. <laughs> um, and it, and, and really there, each, I learned so much from them. And then what I try to do is, you know, tried to create, you got to be your authentic self. Right. And so, and it's never done. Um, but those skills come from experience, from, you know, observation, uh, consciousness, and deliberately trying to get better and, you know, sort of constantly trying to, uh, you know, be a very effective leader, which requires these strong, you know, interpersonal skills. But it's work, and it's work today. And I do it every, you know, it, it never ends. When I would imagine there's probably leadership styles that may be very different from yours that are still effective. So having that presence of mind to say, wow, that is totally not how I would do it, but it's actually working. That seems like it would take us a different level of um, objectivity, I guess, in your role. So it's like you've been able to do that. Yeah, that's a good observation on your part. So talk a little bit about, as you look back over your tenure as a CBO and just in your time in, in higher ed, can you think of a pivotal moment that you view as having really fundamentally changed the role of the CBO? Well, I think it's it's become much more of a uh, you know chief business officer as opposed to a chief financial or chief money officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it um, it has evolved, I think, and and I do think it varies by segment of the industry. So I don't think this is. I think it's hard to talk about um, uniformity across higher ed because mm-hmm. there, there are some differences in segments and and all of that. But in general, um, I think it's evolved into a much more complex job that uh, has tentacles in all parts of the enterprise and um that's made it i think all the more important that we as cbos see uh, our role as advancing the institution over a long period of time being making decisions for the long haul and making decisions uh that are that you understand the consequences of your of this of these tentacles across the enterprise, the consequences of your decision on the productivity and effectiveness of the people who are really delivering the mission, you know, the faculty and students and physicians and uh, researchers. You're talking about tentacles throughout the organization. What are you doing now personally that you never thought you'd be doing 10 years ago? Well, uh, spending a lot of time on healthcare. Hmm. Um, last, you know, man and I, uh, had gotten as, as our academic medical center has grown healthcare reform, it's become a, 
and we're integrated um, with healthcare and the university is all sort of under one uh, organization and one credit structure. And, and so I have been spending, as we think about how to position the Academic Medical Center for the future for success, gotten much more uh, involved in healthcare strategy and how to ensure we are uh, staying true to the mission of an academic dental center, but competing in uh, medicine in the community that, that is not the tertiary quaternary kind of care. And so how do you position yourself to compete, but also stay true to the mission uh, has been something that I've been spending a lot of time on. And, um, you know, last year from March to September 1st, I, I served as the um, CEO for Emory Healthcare. Wow. Uh, while there was um, an opening there and we were in discussions about a potential merger. And so I went over out of this job and did that full time for six months. Never in my wildest uh, <laughs> dreams would I have thought about doing that. Uh, but it's what what was asked of me and what was needed at the time for, for Emory. And so it was very fortunate to get these experiences as that, as you say, never would have, uh, never would have thought about. The other thing is, uh, so that's one, that's a big one. Healthcare. Yes. Uh, and the other is the, um, amount of time and, uh, energy and creativity dedicated to, real estate transactions and real estate development mm. as a tool to, you know, to advance the university. I, I, we're doing a lot of creative things around real estate and development. And, uh, it's, I, I had not ever envisioned, not because I didn't want to, but just, I didn't envision the, the kind of work that you would be able to, do to both advance the university, but also work with private, the private sector, you know, and, and, and we're doing a lot of that. What would you say, again, sort of speaking generally, as you're talking to your CBO colleagues in the world, knowing that they each have their own set of challenges, what would you say is the most unifying challenge that all CBOs are facing today? Yeah, it's resource growth. I think that's the, that's kind of the fundamental, uh, uncertainty and pressure point is if you think regardless of what segment you're in and what revenue mix you have, you know, you can take a school that's got 90% of the revenue from tuition. Uh, you can take a school that's got 60% of the revenue that's research, externally funded governmental research, which requires subsidization. Uh, and even, you know, those who are fortunate to be heavily endowed, um, the uncertainty about what the financial markets will produce, what tuition, you know, elasticity is, um, the changing demographics in the country, all of these things put uh, your institution in a position where you're looking out and uh, the traditional sources just uh, have in low expectations for uh, growth. And so the question is, how do you develop new revenue? How do you develop new resource opportunities to continue to grow and enhance your 
what you're delivering. Do you have any resources that you turn to, Mike, in terms of solving challenges like these, whether it's uh, particular pockets of innovation or just trying to keep yourself up to speed on what's happening? Are there, are there resources you turn to on a relatively frequent basis that you could share? Frankly, it's it's people. You know, it's an, um, the, I generally am trying to both sort of keep in touch with what's going on uh, and um, think, trying to find new ways to think about things by being active in an, in my network and, and having a lot of different perspectives of people from different industries um, that I can talk to. And that's regular. Aside from that, you know, I'm, I'm reading regularly the, you know, both the broad uh, publications, business publications, and then also, you know, the series of uh, publications that come across oriented to, to uh, higher education. Um, those I try to read on weekends and that sort of thing just to scan. Um, but really, the, a lot of the substantive stuff comes from reaching out or talking to uh, a, a network of, of other people you respect and who you think are doing good things. Anything else you'd like to share that I've neglected to ask today, Mike? There are many things that we could talk about. <laughs> I think I would, uh, I think I would just say that, you know, it's been, it's a privilege really to serve in these roles and uh, there are extraordinary opportunities that um, we're fortunate to have. And uh, I hope that we continue as, as, CBOs to mentor and teach um, people coming up through the organizations to be prepared for these roles because there's not a traditional path. And so, you know, I have to be deliberate about helping people get the different kinds of broad experience and exposure and context, you know, in order to be effective leaders in, in these roles. And, uh, um, a lot of turnover coming, a lot of retirement coming down the road. And mm-hmm. so I just encourage all my uh, colleagues to, to stay focused on mentoring. And when it comes to mentoring, and you would just talk to specifically about making sure people are well-rounded, what, what are the gaps, do you think? Where are people falling short in terms of that well-rounded skill set? No, there's, t- I think, um, in either the communication uh, and uh, just effective communication with um, different uh, constituents, right? So you got to be able to have one form and style of communication in a boardroom, and you have to have a different style of communication in leading a team and another different style of communication in dealing with, um, say, faculty. Mm-hmm. And I always say in any of these settings, what you have to be, one of the things you've got to be able to do to be effective is in a room with the same people uh, at one moment during a discussion, you need to be able to be listening in a way that, that enables you to say, you know, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. I will incorporate it. And the next minute, to the same person, perhaps you have to be willing to say, uh, I don't agree. You know, I thought about that or I understand, I understand your perspective. Um, it's not going to 
we're not going to adopt that. We're not going to be able to do that. Here's why and have that be okay. You know? And so that's a, it's a, um, takes a special kind of person to, to be able to do that effectively. And do you think as a mentor, it sounds like you've served as a mentor in the past. Is that something that you have to observe in someone and give them direct feedback? Or is that something that you can teach more generally? Yeah, I think you observe it and, and we talk about it. Um, and, you know, if, if, you, if people generally have good strengths in one of the domains and maybe need some work on another. And so when you observe that, say it's, you know, not as effective in a boardroom as you are in other settings, then, you know, I deliberately work with them. Uh, these are VPs, senior people mm-hmm. and say, you know, on this next one, let's use this as an opportunity to do what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And for weeks before you would sort of iterate in our regular meetings, uh, what that presentation is going to look like and how to anticipate questions so that you're answering in ways that instill confidence. And so, yeah, you, you sort of pick these things out and, and talk through them and then uh, demonstrate it through action as opposed to just talking. Fantastic. Well, we are fortunate for sure to have you as a mentor bringing up a new generation of uh, chief business officers. So thank you so much, Mike, for your time today and for just sharing a little bit of your own personal experience and journey. Megan, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for asking me to do it. I look forward to talking to you soon. You can find out more about Mike and today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes so that you'll get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Mike and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this, this episode of CBO Speaks. This episode of CBO Speaks is brought to you by Kaufman Hall. Learn about their strategic and financial consulting services and Axiom planning software by visiting kaufmanhall.com forward slash higher education. 